Well, good morning. It is great to be here this morning. It's, um, it's been a bit warm, and actually, last night my kids had some difficulty getting to sleep because it was warm in our house. We haven't quite switched over our AC units yet. Um, and it reminded me, it reminded me of a, a song that my mom used to sing to me when I was having trouble getting to sleep at night. And uh, the song, it doesn't have a history uh, just because my mom sang it to me as a lullaby. It has a history because it goes back to the roots of our country. It goes back uh, and plays an important historical role in the formation and identity of the, Ameri- of, of the United States of America. The familiar song has origins from before the resolution of the Civil War. The composer of the song is believed to be Wallace Willis, a.k.a. Uncle Wallace. He grew up as a slave in the 19th century. He was born in Mississippi, and he knew no other life than the life of a slave. Uh, when his slave owner was displaced from Mississippi to Oklahoma, Wallace went too. And he continued as a slave in Oklahoma. The song that he composed was composed during his time uh, in Oklahoma. And I want you to picture it. I want you to go with me in your mind. If you, if you need to, if you want to, close your eyes. Picture Uncle Wallace sitting on the banks of the Red River. That river that divided Oklahoma from Texas. And lo- looking out, imagine him looking out over the water and imagining the Jordan River. And picturing that famous Old Testament scene where the prophet Elijah is caught up into heaven riding on a blazing chariot. Imagine the imagery. And then consider the hard and long day of work that Wallace has just experienced. That there is no hope There was no hope or an end in sight for the work that would still be, that he would still have to do, the sweat and the tears that would be shed because of his position. And as the sun flickers off the water, a song begins to flow out of Wallace's heart. There's a resonance of the soul's cry to God. But also there's a mixture blended into that cry, that plea. There's a sense of hope, a reality, a truth that goes beyond what he, what he is experiencing day to day as a slave. The song is familiar to us, I think. 
Swing low, sweet chariot. Look at the words. I looked over Jordan, and what did I see? Coming for to carry me home. A band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. If you get there before I do, coming for to carry me home, tell all my friends I'm coming to, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. And here we have one of the, uh, one of the earliest recordings of that song. I want, I want you to hear it. that's just a part of it, um, but I wanted you to get a sense for the feel of that song. That song has been covered a number of times, even sung as a lullaby. Um, but that was the feel and the tone of that, of that song. It was a song of what was it being experienced, slavery, and at the same time what was believed and hoped for. And I see oftentimes we have that same situation happening in our lives. There's a gap between what we experience and what we know is, is true and what is true. We need some hope in the face of the constant temptation that woos us to go back to our old sin, to go back to that old way of doing things, to go back to that old slavery even when we've been freed. And we need to trust that there's a truth that can and should shape the reality that we experience. So when sin wants to keep us down, when sin wants to restrict, when sin wants to pull and pry and keep the joy out of our lives, we have a truth that we can fall back on. And that's what we're going to be talking about in our text today, in Romans chapter 6. So if you'll open up to Romans chapter 6, that's where we'll be. And this, this, uh, these verses, of verse 1 through 14, they speak of a truth we should know, believe, and live. They speak of a truth we should know, believe, and live. So if you've lost hope, if you've found yourself drifting back into that old sin, that old pattern, or there's something in your past that keeps on dogging you, keeps on rearing its head, this is a passage for you to engage with. 
Because the reality is we all struggle. We all are tempted to go back to that old way. Because sin promises us something, even if it's something that can't be delivered. So let's look. In Romans chapter 6, 1 through 4, uh, 14, sorry, 1 through 14, Paul speaks of a truth in this text that should be our battle cry. It should be our pregame warm-up. It should be our slave spiritual. So get in that mindset today as we open up the text. Uh, let's look at verses 1 through 7 first. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Look, Paul starts out with a couple of rhetorical questions here. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? He's encouraging, he's prompting his audience to engage their minds, to start thinking logically. Put some reason towards this, towards the truth, towards the reality of what's actually going on. Let's think it through. And then he says, we've been baptized. And I think Paul in this text is talking about both, both water baptism and baptism as the conversion experience as a whole. I don't think Paul had the context to separate the two. He would, have never, he would have never said, yes, you're a believer, and then later on down the road, you get baptized. First century, in, in this time, Paul is thinking, yeah, baptism means conversion. Real, genuine, true conversion. The two things were never separated for him. A spiritual reality has taken place, and he talks about it as being buried. Buried. Something goes down. Something is buried. That sin goes down. But then Paul speaks and he says, Something, something comes up. Something is raised. Jesus is raised, and we are raised with him to new life. That is the imagery that we have. The death of sin, the end, the final, complete conclusion, end, done, period, no more. Sin's power is rendered powerless. And we have the opportunity to live a new life because we have been baptized into something new, a new family. Think about it like this way. If I'm drafted into the NFL... I have a new opportunity to play on an NFL team that I didn't have before. If we're baptized into the family of God, we have an opportunity to live to God in a way that we never did before. So how are you living out your baptism? That's the question that I come away with in these first few lines of text. How are we living out our baptism? our birth into a new identity. So let's, go, let's continue on, verses 5 to 7. 
I'm going to read these again. If you have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. This is what sin does. And this is what sin is. Sin is a condition. It's a sickness. It's an illness. And this is what it does. It restricts. It pulls the joy out of our lives. It keeps us from experiencing the life that we uh, are designed to, create, uh, to live. It keeps us, it restricts us from living the abundant life. So what hope can we cling to when those temptations come back? What hope can we cling to when sin seems to have power again in our lives? What hope can we have when we look around at a world that's enslaved to sin? I think there's the, ever, there's the ever-present temptation to go back to Egypt, like the Israelites, who, as soon as they were free from, from, uh, from Egypt, started moaning and complaining. They're saying, well, we should have just gone back to Egypt. At least we had meat to eat there. But now we're wandering around following this crazy man in the wilderness. But what they were failing to see is the promised land that lay ahead. What they were failing to see, what their eyes were failing to fix on, was the promised land that Moses was leading them to. And that same thing can happen to us. What are your wilderness temptations? What are your Jordan rivers? I want to read verses 8 to 11 now. And here, this is where I think the power of this passage is. This is the hinge point for everything that takes place in, this, in these 14 lines of text. Let's look at it. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the reality for Christ. Christ died. He rose. That's the facts. And then look at verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count or reckon in some translations, or consider in some translations. The word reckon has the power of believe this. Put all of your trust in this. And with this verse, Paul is moving from the indicatives to the imperatives. Indicatives, Paul has been describing the reality. He's been describing the truth. And now he makes this shift to imperatives. It is imperative that we count, 
that we reckon, that we believe the truth that Paul has just explained. You died. Death is final and complete. You can live. Life in Christ makes living to God possible. You know this, I hear Paul saying. You know this. Now believe it. This forces me to keep, keep on going back to the truth. It forces me to keep on going back to my knees. It forces me to keep on going back to the Word, to soak and saturate in it. So I'm reminded time and time again of what is the truth? What is real? And this leads me to faith, even in the face of appearances. It means reckoning a freedman identity. Emancipated, liberated, even when your life doesn't seem like that. Reckoning even when the dark reality of your past keeps on coming back. Keeps on messing with your life. When that old sin keeps on pulling you back in, drawing you back in. Look at this. The ability of slaves to imagine freedom was contingent upon their being able to experience freedom. And the slave's capacity to experience freedom was contingent or conditional upon their being able to imagine it. It's a quote from Thomas Baker commenting on the slave spiritual. This is the attitude. This is the soul's cry. This is the heart behind those spirituals. This is believing, reckoning. This is faith. Faith, we are who God has made us to be. In reality, this is the general trending of our lives. Let's look at verses 12 through 14. Therefore, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness for sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. This was our condition prior to conversion. We were slaves to sin. This is downward trending. And, that, and even if we were to get pretty high, we wouldn't be able to break through that ceiling, that condition of sin. But here's where we are now. Conversion, that point right there, when everything changed for us, when everything in our lives changed and our reality was flipped. The truth of who we are suddenly changed. We moved from one plane of existence to another plane of existence. We moved from one neighborhood to another neighborhood. 
the zip code changed. And now it doesn't matter where we are on this line. The trend is progressing. And look, from our perspective, if we zoom in right there, if we focus too close right there, it looks like our life is nothing but failure. It looks like our life is trending down. But if we are able to see the bigger picture, if we are able to zoom out and see what's really going on, we see that our lives are trending. We see that we are living to God. That is the hope that we have. That is the hope behind the slave spirituals. That the reality looks like this. All going down. But the truth is, we are being made more and more like Christ because we have been saved. And look at verse 14. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. This is the promise that makes everything possible. Everything that Paul has talked about up to this point. Reckon, don't let all these imperatives rest on this promise. For sin shall not be your master. Sin is no longer your master. Believe this because it's true. Jesus flipped the whole thing. We're not, under the, we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. And we, have the, and we have the chance, the possibility to live to God because of what Jesus has done. We're freedmen. That was the name given to slaves emancipated and liberated. Freedmen. It became a last name. Like Morgan Friedman. We're freedmen. The power of sin to imprison us and death to destroy us and the law to sentence us is no longer. Jesus came and redefined all that. Now sin can't hold us. Death has no sting. And the law has been fulfilled and can no longer condemn us. The greater divine will is available to us. And we read that in our text this morning. It's the will that drove black men and white men to fight together, side by side, in the Civil War for freedom. It's the will woven through the minor tones of the slave spirituals. It's the truth that Swing Low's sweet chariot was born out of. A truth that eventually makes dreams possible. Makes dreams become reality. So why are we still familiar with the song Swing Low, Sweet Chariot? I don't think it's only because a man named Alex Reed heard Wallace Willis singing that song with his wife one day and he wrote it down and transcribed it. I don't think it's because 
after passing that on to the Fisk University Jubilee Singers, it hit the mainstream and was just popular because of that group's talent and skill. I think we know the song Swing Low, Sweet Chariot because of the soul and the heart behind that song and because, it, because of what it means. It means that we once were slaves, but now we're free. We are on the other side. Why go back? Why go back to living like a slave when slavery's been abolished? So what's the tune in our hearts? What's the song that we're singing with our lives? The truth of who we already are in Christ. Can we take hold of that? Can that be our anthem? Our position in Christ is secure. Only in Christ Jesus do we have the power the opportunity to be free from sin's power. Free. Yes, we still live with sin all around us. We still are tempted. We still fall. We still fail. That's why that graph is moving all over the place. We can't deny that. But what we can know as absolute true and certain is our identity has changed. And we can by the power of Jesus Christ and God's will made available to us, live to God. So what's the song we're singing? What are we reckoning as true? Reckon this. We are no longer slaves. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for our soul's cry to you. In the midst of an enslaved world, in circumstances where sin seems to have the upper hand, where sin seems to just have the ability to do whatever it pleases, wooing us to join wooing us to give up our convictions. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to fall back on the truth and not fall back into Adam, fall back into that old sin, that old pattern, that old way of doing things. But Lord, that you would help us to live out the truth of who we are in that new reality. God, help us to reckon, to consider, to believe in the truth of who we are because of what you've done. Since power has been abolished, Lord, thank you. Help us to walk in that grace. Help us to learn how to live in that grace day after day. Remove the layers of guilt 
that can so easily be piled on us and restrict our lives and keep us from the abundant life. And let us walk liberated as freedmen in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.